0: Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, John chapter 21, verses 14 through 19. This is found on page 883 in your Pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along with me. But before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will, for all of us as your church, and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you, and we thank you for your love. Amen. So again, John chapter 21, beginning with verse 14. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you that when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So there's an old cliche story, kind of a joke that us ministers share back and forth, and you probably heard before. It's about a new pastor who's come to a church. A search committee's been looking for ages, and they finally find a pastor who's a really good preacher, and they're excited to hear him preach his first sermon. He preaches a sermon. It's a wonderful sermon, and they're thankful. Uh, The crowd that had come that day decided they were going to come back the next week because he was such a good preacher. Then, on the second Sunday that he preached, though, something peculiar happened. He preached the exact same sermon again. The search committee thought, hmm, that's peculiar. Usually we try to give a little bit of time before ministers repeat themselves, but maybe there's some new technique that he's trying. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But then, the third Sunday, the preacher preached the exact same sermon again. This time, something needed to be done. The chairperson of the search committee came up to the minister after church was over and said, I noticed you only have one sermon that you keep repeating over and over again. Do you have another sermon that you can preach to us? To which the minister replied, I do have another sermon, and I will preach it when you obey what I said in the first one. (laughs) Repetition is a very powerful tool Not only as a preacher, but as a teacher and as a parent. I don't know how many times my mother said the same thing over and over to me, and she would usually say, if I told you once, I've told you a thousand times, trying to teach me a lesson that I needed to learn. Our teachers do that as well. They'll say things like, repeat after me, because that repetition helps us to learn lessons, learn stories, learn things that we are called to learn to help us be better people, and ministers are the exact same. You probably noticed there are several things every single week that I repeat, several prayers that I repeat. I repeat the same prayer of illumination every single Sunday. I repeat the same benediction every single Sunday. Those five things or six things some of you like to share with me. I, I repeat those every single week because when I was a child, my minister repeated those things every single week. And even now, as an adult, I can remember those things because he repeated them again and again. And again, and my hope is that maybe someday you'll be able to repeat those prayers again and again and again. That's why we repeat the same Apostles' Creed nearly every Sunday or repeat the Lord's Prayer every single Sunday because that's the way I learned it. I learned it not by studying it and pulling out a book and dissecting the prayer. I learned it because every single Sunday we repeated the same words over and over and over again. Until now, I just say it because I know it in my heart. Repetition is a powerful tool, and and we all tend to repeat ourselves. We even tell the same stories in our families from time to time. Repetition is something we do by habit, or, or maybe sometimes even when we don't mean to, we repeat ourselves again. And believe it or not, Jesus did the same thing. Jesus tended to repeat himself all throughout the Gospels. Sometimes the Gospels, of course, are telling the same story twice. But Jesus repeated many of his lessons. He told people to forgive other people several times throughout the Gospels. He talked about the importance of of loving your neighbor, not just one time, but several times throughout the Gospels. But maybe the most dramatic example of Jesus repeating himself comes in our passage that we just read this morning where he asks Peter three times do you love me now this is after easter it's one of the examples where jesus appeared to the disciples before he uh, ascended into heaven he's actually sitting on the on the beach and they have just uh, it's been that miracle where they just threw the nets into the water after jesus told them throw it in one more time and they pull in this huge catch when there were no fish there before this wonderful miracle and as they're standing there on the beach Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says, well, you know I love you. Of course I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. But then after a few moments, he asks the same question again. Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, of course, you know I love you. I just told you I loved you five seconds ago. And he says, well, then feed my sheep. But then he repeats it a third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And this time it hurt. This time it hurt, Peter. It was like Jesus was doubting him or something. And he says, you know, Jesus, that I love you. Why do you keep asking me this? And Jesus says, go and feed my sheep again. Now, lots have been made about the little nuances within these uh, three answers and these three questions. Why does Jesus call him Simon instead of Peter? Why does he he, uh, use different words for love And some of the questions? They're all little nuances, but all of those little nuances are really overshadowed by the most dramatic fact that he repeats himself three times. Why in the world would Jesus feel the need to do that? Well, maybe it's because Jesus is teaching us that there are times when one answer, one answer just won't do. There are times in our lives when we make promises, and it's not a one-time promise, but it's a promise that we have to make over and over and over again. I'll give you an example from my personal life. When Julianne and I were uh, engaged, we were about to be married in just a few weeks, and another minister friend of mine who had been a minister for a long time came to me and asked me, you know, Brad, when are you all going to say your I do's? And I thought he meant, when is your, when is your wedding taking place? And so I said, well, April 22nd. I'm glad I got that right, by the way. April 22nd. <laughs> he looked back at me and he said, well, That's great, but that's not exactly what I mean. You can say I do on April 22nd, but you better also say it every day after that. When you wake up in the morning before you leave the house, you need to make sure that you're still saying I do to that person that you love. There are easy days when you say, I do, but there are also some hard days, too. And so it's better to make sure you say, I do, before you leave the house in the morning so that when you go out into the world and you meet other people and you face new challenges, you've always started the day first by saying, I choose you. The promise that you make on a wedding day is not a one-time promise. It's a promise that you have to make over and over and over and over and over again countless times and countless moments and maybe in some way being a disciple is just like that of course we don't stand up and make vows so to speak to be a disciple but what do we do we make a profession of faith and that's what our confirmation students are about to do in just a few minutes for the first official time in their lives they are going to stand up before you they've got tape all up here showing them where to stand And they are going to make their first official profession of faith. Now I want you to know these folks have been working very hard for nine months. They have been coming here every single Sunday morning memorizing Bible verses. They have been doing service projects. They've been learning about our theology and and learning about the Bible as well. They've been working really hard all to get to this day so that they can make this first profession of faith. It seems like the goal is here. We've finally crossed the the end zone. We finally made it to the end of the story. Today is the beginning. Today is the first time you're going to make a profession of faith, but it will not be the last. Because you see, once you make this first profession of faith, you're going to have to answer that same question again and again and again and again all throughout your life. Just look at Peter. Peter was asked whether he believed in Jesus many times, not just these three times, but many times. The first time when when Jesus came up to him and said, throw down your nets and follow me. And Peter had to decide if he was going to believe in Jesus and follow Jesus and he did. Other times when when Jesus asked Peter to step out of the boat and walk on water, take that leap of, excuse me, take that leap of faith, and, and Peter did. He took that leap of faith. But there were other times too. <laughs> difficult times, hard times, when Peter was asked if he truly loved Jesus, if he truly believed in Jesus, if he truly would follow Jesus, and the answer was not so simple. Those three times on Monday, Thursday when Peter denied knowing Jesus at all, people came up to him and asked him, do you believe in Jesus? And he said, or do you follow Jesus? And he said, no. The same is true for all of us as disciples. Every single day we have opportunities to answer the question, do we love Jesus? Do we follow Jesus? Not just with our words, but with our actions. By the way we treat other people. You might, as students, you might go to school one day and you see someone being bullied. That's Jesus asking you, do you love Jesus? If so, then you need to stand up and stand beside those people who are being hurt. We have that same question in our own world when we see people who are despised and rejected and and bullied in our world. That's Jesus asking you, do you love me? Well, if so, then do something about it. We may have friends or family who have done something wrong to hurt us, and we have the opportunity to forgive them. That's Jesus Christ asking us, do you believe in me? Do you love me? And we have the opportunity to say yes by forgiving them. Many times this summer, we're going to have students all throughout Tallahassee who, because they're no longer in school, they don't have enough food to eat. That's Jesus Christ asking us, do you love me? Then feed my sheep, tend my lambs. We have countless opportunities every day to profess our faith through our words and through our actions. We have to do it every single day, not just once, but every single day. In fact, that might be a good idea, in fact, to try to start our day every single day by remembering that we belong to God by professing our faith in Jesus Christ. I've told you this before, but the reformer Martin Luther just used to do that when he was uh, still working within the Catholic Church and trying to scrutinize the church, trying to scrutinize the rules of the church and, and push them to do better and try harder. He also turned that same scrutiny on himself. Every single day he woke up and he thought, I'm not good enough. My faith isn't perfect. I know I'm not the kind of person God wants me to be. But every single morning before he would put his feet on the floor... He would touch the top of his head and say, I'm baptized. A little statement of faith to start every single day to remember that he belonged to God. And that his first allegiance before he walked out the door every single morning was to Jesus Christ who loved him and claimed him as his own. It was to Jesus Christ and that every time he went out into the world and interacted with other people, the first promise he made was to Jesus and every other promise followed after that one. It might be a good lesson for us to start our lives that way, our days that way, by touching the top of our head before we go out into the world and see other people face to face, to touch the top of our head and remember we're baptized. We belong to God, and so we should act like it. There's something a little bit different in that promise that Martin Luther made, a little bit different that even the profession of faith that you all are going to make today, because it reminds us once again that our hope is not in our perfect faith, but our hope ultimately is that we belong to God. Our hope is always not in our perfect faith, not in our perfect love. Our faith and our love ebb and flow every single day. Our hope is that God's love never fails Our hope is in God's steadfast love that endures forever, that never fails us, even when we do the right things and even when we do the wrong things. I shared this story with you all many years ago, but it's still one that sticks with me. It was a little book that was written about 17th century Christianity in Japan. It was called Silence. It's a very powerful book about how Christianity in Japan during that time was outlawed, and and people were, were, Christians were going underground to try to save themselves, and and were not professing their faith openly to the whole world. And the authorities in Japan at that time were finding ways that they could pull these people out so that they could arrest these Christians and persecute them. They made these little pictures, uh, little symbols called fumis. And basically what they were were pictures of Jesus, pictures of the cross, pictures of symbols of faith that they would take all over the city and they would throw it on the ground in front of some random stranger and say, step on Jesus' face to prove that you're not a Christian. They knew that if someone was a really devout Christian, they could never do such a thing. And it was a way of of trapping people so that they could pull them into prison and, and torture them and some of them maybe even kill this little book describes how Christians were persecuted all over Japan, and it goes on to tell the story of one particular Christian, a man named Sebastian Rodriguez, a Jesuit priest who went to Japan to try to continue to spread the gospel. But of course, while he was there, he got arrested himself, was taken to a prison, and was tortured. He listened as other people were being tortured around him all over the prison. And the authorities kept bringing to him these little pictures of Jesus and saying, if you don't believe in God, step on this face of Jesus. He kept hearing all the pain and the suffering around him and wondering what he should do. Why isn't Jesus coming and solving this and getting us out of here? Finally, as he looked at that little picture of Jesus, he heard these words in his mind. Step on me. Trample on me. I came so that you could trample on me. I came to bear your pain and your burden. Step on me. And so in that moment, Sebastian did exactly what he heard. He stepped on the face of Jesus Christ. He left the prison and told the story again and again and again. Our faith is never going to be perfect. You're going to try every day. You're going to have opportunities every day to share your faith with others. You're going to have opportunities to prove that you love Jesus Christ through your words and through your actions, through the way you treat other people. But let me tell you something. Your hope is not that you will ever have perfect faith. Your hope is that when your faith is perfect and when your faith is not, God's steadfast love endures forever. There's nothing that you can do ever to separate yourself from the love of God. Jesus asks us, Do you love me? And our response, Yes, we love you, Jesus. But more importantly, Jesus loves me. To the glory of God. Amen.